Our current series is the great victories of the Bible. And we've had some great ones. We've talked about the uh, exodus from Egypt. We've talked about last week, the defeat of the great kings, Sihon and Og, um, east of the Jordan River. And uh, today we're gonna talk about another, um, I guess this would not be a victory. This would be more a disaster and a defeat but it's an important one because um, it was an important lesson to learn early on in the game. And there is a victory connected with it. We'll just call this, this study today AI. Uh, the letter A and then the letter I, AI. So here's the story. We're all familiar with the story of Jericho, or many of us are. Um, God had established a very unusual battle plan for Jericho. It was the very first city that Israel would face on the west side of the Jordan in the land of Canaan. And he had some special things in mind for the uh, defeat of that city and, and those people. And so the battle plan was this. For um, the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant, which was the a physical symbol of God's presence among the Israelites. It was a small box, maybe four by two by two, with angels on the top in gold. And God's presence dwelt between the angels. And uh, inside the box were the law, Aaron's rod that had budded, and a jar full of manna. And this was carried by the priests. And then in front of the priests were seven priests carrying trumpets, blowing them. And don't think of trumpet as in our orchestra, but think of a ram's horn and a, a really eerie kind of sound that was made from the ram's horn. And uh, then on either side of this group, uh, the armed forces of Israel, the army in front and in back, and God said, circle the city, blowing the ram's horns once a day, each day for six days. Now, God had already put the fear of the Israelites on the people of Jericho. We learned that from Rahab, the prostitute. She told the men, we, we're terrified of you. We've heard of what God did at the Red Sea, how he dried up the Red Sea and you came across on dry land then destroyed the Egyptian army. We heard about what God did to Sihon and Og, uh, uh, the kings of Bashan and Og and, uh, and uh, Heshbon. And so uh, they were afraid. And as these priests were blowing these trumpets and these, these uh, soldiers were marching around the city, can you imagine the additional fear that was building in their hearts? Um, I bet every time that those horns blew, the hair on the back of their necks just rose and, and they were more and more afraid. So at the end of six days, the instructions were th was this. Um, go around on the seventh day seven times, doing the, the exact same thing you did once a day for the first six days. And then on the seventh time around, um, have the priests blow the trumpet trumpets, and as they do, give a great shout, the army. And then the walls will fall down and you're to rush into the city and take the city, 
destroy everything in the city that breathes, every man, woman, and child, animal, um, destroy any physical item other than gold, silver, bronze, and iron. And those items will be devoted to the Lord and will be part of the treasury that will be used to build an eventual tap, uh, temple in that area. And so um, that, those were the instructions. And um, how did they do? Well, <laughs> I think we, we know the story. They did their, their route around the city for six days, and on the seventh day, they followed instructions. And sure enough, as they went around six times and came to the seventh time and blew the trumpets and shouted, the walls came down. God supernaturally brought the walls down. And they rushed in and killed every person and every animal and destroyed all the goods. Normally, it was the, um, it was the prerogative of the soldiers to keep what was called the plunder. Uh, that would be uh, things of value that they would take with them. That would be sort of their pay, their battle pay. And uh, in this case, God said, no, those things are devoted to the Lord, either to be destroyed or in the case of the precious metals, they're to be saved and they're going to be used for building the temple of God. And uh, let's actually read from Joshua 6, the instructions about those devoted things. And remember, devoted things has to do with things that were devoted to the Lord, either for destruction or for saving. And God said, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. So God's warning was, if you keep any of those things, you're going to bring God's destruction on you as a nation and on your camp. And then it says, all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Those, those were the instructions. So um, as they completed their, their, their mission and the walls came down and they, they uh, killed the inhabitants and destroyed everything and took away the valuable metals, it looked like this had been uh, just one of the most astounding and unbelievable and miraculous victories ever. Um, who had ever heard of walls coming down by God's power? And uh, that's what happened. And so um, it was a great victory. And then there is chapter 7. And I'd like for us to read verse 1 of chapter 7. Ah. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. And if you just read that line, you must think, oh my goodness, didn't they hear? How many of them were there that, that were disobedient in that? There must have been dozens, maybe hundreds. Look at the next line. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, some of these devoted things. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. One man 
had caused God's anger to burn against Israel. At this point, the only people that know about this are Achan and, of course, God. All the rest of the Israelites are celebrating. They're um, excited about what God has done. They, they remember God's promise that nobody would be able to stand against them, um, that God was on their side, and so um, lots of celebrating. But then something interesting happened. There was a city called Ai, a distance away that was on a trade route that um, it, was, it would be important for them to control. And so that was their next target. It was a, a fairly small city. And um, so the point was that um, they wanted, they wanted uh, Joshua wanted spies to go and check out the land, which they did. And they came back and they said, it's a, it's a small city by comparison. And I don't, we don't feel the need for you to send the whole army. Send two or 3,000 men and that will be enough. And uh, surely we will defeat them with just a small uh, number of men. And so let's pick up our reading in uh, Joshua 7, verse 4. So about 3,000 went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Whoa, this was not supposed to happen. Uh, they were supposed to uh, be uh, invincible especially after Jericho, um, in this mighty victory that God had wrought. And uh, thinking back to their defeat of Sihon and, and his kingdom, and then Og in his kingdom, um, cities and cities, walled cities, and the villages and villages they destroyed. And they come to this relatively small city and are unable to defeat. And uh, so they're... they're their hearts melted in fear and became like water. Well, how was Joshua feeling about this? Verse six, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan, where they had obviously won some great victories. And uh, so Joshua is complaining to the Lord. He's, he's uh, not understanding what happened. And uh, I'd like to go back to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 5 because in verse 5, we have God's words to Joshua um, as he's poised on the east side of the Jordan River getting ready to cross. And God says this to him, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so uh, Joshua had that in his mind. 
He believed that. He believed that God would absolutely be with him and with the people and that no one in the land of Canaan would be able to stand up against them, that they would defeat every single foe. And I, I applaud him for that faith. That's the kind of faith we need to have when God says something, we believe it. But here's a, a wrench that's been thrown into the mix. And uh, what are they to do? Well, God eventually speaks to Joshua. And uh, we're going to read about that in verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? So Joshua is is wallowing before God and crying out in uh, in fear. And uh, God puts it into perspective for Joshua. He says, and this is an important verse, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. You might remember, just as a pause in this verse, that back um, at Mount Sinai, when God gave the law to Israel, When it was read to them, they said, everything that the Lord has told us to do, we will do. That was the promise of the people. And so they entered into covenant with the Lord. His part was to be their God and to rescue them and to fight for them. Their part was to obey everything that he had said to do. And so um, even though it was one man, God is saying, I'm holding Israel accountable um, because they have not kept my commandments. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. Notice he's not saying he, he's saying they. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. Just like God had said before they entered the land, if If you take these things that I've forbidden you to take, you will be liable to destruction. So those were God's words to to Joshua. And he furthermore says, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Okay, leave that up for just a minute. What that meant was that the person who had taken those things, now became devoted. That is, devoted to destruction. That was the penalty. That was the cost of taking things that were devoted to God, is that the nation, unless they dealt with it, dealt with the person, was was devoted to destruction. And so to avoid that being the case of the nation, they needed to deal with the person who um, committed these acts of disobedience against God. So what they did, let's talk through it. They resorted to the lot. The lot was something that God had um, orchestrated, had um, arranged for the children of Israel to use to determine his will in matters that they didn't understand. And he gave something called uh, an ephod and a breastpiece that housed these, uh, these lots. And uh, they were uh, 
we think a couple of stones that were thrown out on the ground or on a table or on a surface and if they came up one way they meant one thing and if they came up another way they meant something else and they were able to determine God's will through this it wasn't that there was any magic in the stones it was the fact that God had given them this way of determining his will and it could be relied upon he he said I will back that Um, it required that their hearts be right that they be up to date in their relationship with him, that they they be trusting him, that he would speak in the lot. But as they did that, then when the lot was thrown, they could look at it and know that that was God's direction. And so they began to uh, throw the lot, and they determined that the tribe in which this sin had been committed was in the tribe of Judah. And then they went family by family until they came to Achan of the tribe of Judah. And when the lot fell to him, Joshua said, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. And so Achan told the story. He said, we were fighting in the the battle, and as, as we came into this city, I saw this beautiful um, Babylonian robe and I wanted to have it. And so I took it and I saw um, this bar of gold and I saw uh, shekels of silver that were just lying there available. And I, I took them and I went and I hid them in my tent and buried them. Now, pause for just a minute and just thinking about what went on in Achan's mind as he was doing that. The normal pattern for soldiers fighting in a battle would would be to take the plunder, to take things that looked valuable as they were fighting. And uh, so I'm sure in himself he said, look, this is normal procedure, and I'm not doing anything vile or vulgar. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not raping a woman. I'm not uh, killing somebody um, in my own ranks. Um, So what, you know, what could be wrong with this? And uh, so he somehow rationalized that in his mind. But Joshua and the leadership of Israel were not rationalizing at this point. So they took Achan, and they took his family, they took his livestock and all his possessions down to a valley that was later called Achor, Valley of Trouble. And they stoned Achan to death. That was the common form of execution among the Israelites. And after they stoned him, it's clear in Scripture that they also stoned his family, and his livestock. And some of you might say, his family? What's the deal? We don't have all the information, but um, here is a thought. Would it have been possible for him to have hidden what he took in battle under the ground in his tent without his family knowing? And that is certainly possible that they, they knew or were accomplices in what he did, uh, at least in hiding it. And so 
to get rid of any possibility of that sin lingering among the Israelites. They stoned his family and his livestock, and then they burned all of it. And after they burned the bodies and they burned um, their possessions, the tents and all of that, they heaped up a, a big pile of stones over the, the burnt uh, remains, the charred ashes. And, uh, and they did it so that in years to come, as people passed that point and would ask, what's under that pile of stones? Someone would tell them the story of Achan. It's important that the story be told because it bears an important lesson. And that's why we didn't skirt it today in talking about the great victories of the Bible. Because had this lesson not been learned, there would not have been any other great victories in the Bible, at least for Israel. And so uh, we need to tell the story today. And in our own lives, we need to perhaps put to death some things that are devoted to destruction, namely sins in our lives. So I'd like for us to think for just a moment about things in our own lives. Let me, let me just say one thing before we go on. There's, there's a um, positive side to what happened, and that is that after they stoned to death Achan and his family and his livestock and burned the, their remains and, and cast up the uh, heap of stones over their bodies. Uh, God gave Joshua a battle plan for Ai. It was rather interesting and it involved an ambush. And they went back this time with 30,000 troops instead of two to 3,000. And they totally defeated Ai. They surprised them. Uh, drew out all the men of Ai, thinking that Israel was running from them, and they were on running after them, and there was an ambush troop behind the city that came up and rose up after all the men came out. They went in the city, burned it. The fighters from Ai looked back and saw their city burning, and then the, the Israelites that were running from them turned around, and they were caught in the middle of this battle, and they were destroyed the city of Ai, and a nearby city called Bethel. So God immediately showed that he was, he was still a God of victory, but they needed to follow his battle plan, and they hadn't done it in the battle before. One man had failed to follow, and it had put the whole nation at jeopardy. And so um, we need to follow God's plan for our lives. And when he asks us to do something, we need to do it. When he tells us not to do something, we need not to do it. Here's a scripture that I'd like for us to look at right now, and it's um, Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. And so that's, that was spoken to the Israelites, and it was, it was so much true of them, but it's true of us as well. Um, God is not um, 
He's not saved us to be defeated. He's saved us to be victorious over Satan and over other enemies in our lives. The the thing is this. This will be true if we follow God's battle plan and if we obey him in everything that he tells us to do and not to do. Here is the, the problem if we are like Achan and we renege on what he's told us to do. Let's take a look at Psalm 66, 18. The psalmist knew this lesson and uh, he says this, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That doesn't mean um, God doesn't listen to sinners. He does. But if I had cherished sin in my heart, in other words, if I'm, if I'm actively engaged in willful sin, I know it's wrong. I'm doing it anyway. And yet I'm going to God in prayer and asking him for things. I can tell you that God is not going to listen to that prayer. Now, a person who unintentionally um, sins or slips and makes a mistake and sins against God and then confesses and comes back and prays, God will listen. But if I'm, um, just for an example, if I'm carrying on an adulterous affair with somebody that is not my spouse on the side, and I'm going to God praying and asking him for help in my life in some other way, I can tell you God is turning a deaf ear to those prayers. He's saying, take care of the sin in your life and then come and pray. Here's another scripture that's uh, relative to that. 1 Samuel 15, 22. You might remember that God had given through Samuel to Saul instructions on how, how to do battle against the Amalekites. And uh, he said, destroy absolutely everything living and uh, including the livestock. And Samuel comes into the, into the camp after the battle, and he hears the lowing of sheep and, and the mooing of cattle. And he says, what's this I hear? And, and Saul says to Samuel, well, we kept back some of the better of the animals so that we could offer them as sacrifices. And we're not sure if that's true. And even if it was, here's what Samuel has to say. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And so that's the principle. Um, Obedience is what God requires. And um, sacrifices or prayers um, are, are, yes, they're important, but only when they're couched in obedience. Now, I believe that God has given us this Uh, scripture, not only for the Israelites of that time, not only for people who live within a hundred years of that time, but for us today. We're walking by the pile of rocks, so to speak, and we're asking one another, what's this pile of rocks? And 
someone is saying, well, that's over Achan and his family. He was the one who failed to obey what God had said about the devoted things. And he was, he was stoned and killed and burned because um, he disobeyed God. So it's a lesson for us for the future. Um, when we're tempted in the future to disobey God, remember Achan. Remember the defeat at Ai. There's another possibility as we walk by this pile of stones. For some of us, it may be God saying to us, you are currently cherishing sin in your heart and still thinking that you're going to come to me and ask me for things and talk to me about your life. I'm not listening. And so he's wanting us to get rid of the sin that's in our life. He's wanting us to put to death sin. I'd like to suggest to us today three things that we can do if we find ourselves in that situation today. To put to death a sin, the first thing that we need to do is stop sinning. Stop sinning. We need to stop the thing that we're doing. If we're being um, abusive to a person in our life, we need to stop being abusive. We need to stop um, giving ourselves an excuse that perhaps we were raised that way, we saw it modeled to us, and we can't help ourselves. That's why we're doing what we're doing. We need to stop sinning. The second thing we need to do is to build walls of protection around our lives. For instance, if we're having a, a difficulty with pornography, one of the things that we may need to do is to get rid of internet on our phone and on our computer or stop using either one of those items. In other words, do something harsh that takes away any possibility of, of doing internet pornography. And so we get rid of the things. We build walls, high walls of protection around things that could be a cause of sin in our lives. The last thing, is to make restitution. If our sin involves um, something that has hurt someone else, we need to go to that person and not only um, express our sorrow and ask for forgiveness, but make restitution if what we've done has cost them. Well, those are uh, some things to do to put to death a sin when we realize it that's something that's happened in our own life. And I just want to encourage all of us that are listening today to take these things to heart. God is, God is a loving God, but he will not countenance sin in our lives that we consciously commit knowing that it's wrong. He expects us to deal with it. He will help us. He will give us the help we need, but he expects us to deal with it. Otherwise, we can expect that his ears will be deaf to our cries. And I would hate to be in that position, and I think you would be too. Let's pray before we close today. 
God, I thank you that you've given us the story of AI. Though it's a story in some sense of disaster and defeat, it's an important one for us to hear again. Help us to remember it as we're tempted in the future. And for anything that currently we're courting in our life in the way of sin, may we take those three steps of stopping the sin, of building high walls, and of making restitution. Oh God, help us, and you will, as we take those steps towards you. Thank you so much for your love and your faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name.